It's great to see you all today. I'm, I have to say I'm slightly surprised that we have so many people here. I expected half of us to be somewhere else, seeing family or heading off to the beach or something like that. Sally and I are going to the beach for a few days tomorrow. Please pray for us. We'd love it to be a completely stress-free, amazing, brilliant thing. So who knows? <laughs> you often plan those things that way, don't you? And they don't quite end up uh, to be exactly that. I'm sure with me and many others, you're thankful for God's intervention this weekend in our city and his gracious work in thwarting the plans of the evil one and ensuring that peace remains on our streets. We're so grateful that the Lord did that among us and has turned back the forces of hatred and racism. We're so grateful for that, aren't we? So thank you, Lord, for that. And today, of course, is Memorial Day. And so I'd like to begin this time just by praying with you, praying together, asking that the Lord would be with those who remember this day with grief, for all those who suffer the realities of daily sadness. Let's pray together. Lord, first of all, we remember before you those fallen heroes, those who have given the ultimate sacrifice We thank you, Lord, for their sacrifice for freedom and for liberty. And we pray this day, Lord, for those who grieve, those who on this day sense the long shadow of sadness. Lord, we pray for them. We pray for their family and friends. We ask for all who grieve this day, that, Lord, your comfort would be very close to them. We thank you, Lord, that you're close to the brokenhearted. And, Lord, this day, we say that from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, we will remember them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're turning today to the letter to the church in Thyatira. I was listening to um, the audio Bible the other day and uh, there's another English guy that they have on there. And um, of course, all English pronunciation is considered to be sacrosanct and he has a different pronunciation of uh, Thyatira than me, so who knows who's right. But um, his, is, his was something like Tiatira, but... I kept on talking to him saying, I think there's a TH at the beginning, I'm not sure. Anyway, so it, it didn't really bless me to kind of listen to this guy, but um, I'm sure that you find the same thing most Sundays when you're listening to me. But, but today we're going to read this letter. It's one of the longest of the seven letters to the seven churches and is one of the most intense. And from the point of view of the listener, the most troubling. Uh, 
So I'd ask you to read carefully and then consider carefully as we look at this text together this morning. We're in Revelation chapter two and verse 18. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, these are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and your faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling, so I will cast her on a bed of suffering and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of their ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds. And I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my father, I will also give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So this is a stern message. This is a message of real sobriety. Here we can hear the, the words of rolling judgment in the message of Jesus to the church in Thyatira. Imagine being in that gathering, in that house church or in that series of house churches as this letter is read for the first time. It must have been a shocking wake-up call. It's perhaps important for us to get to the details of what it is that's being addressed here. And to do that, we'll need to pick up some of the themes that we looked at last week and also understand the particular context of Thyatira so that, we, so that we understand what the message is intending to do for this church that is hearing these words that seem so difficult to embrace. Thyatira was not a particularly significant city in Asia Minor. It was one of the seven churches that, of course, are addressed in the seven letters at the beginning of Revelation, but in terms of its significance and in terms of its scale, it's not a particularly large city. And yet, it held a prominent place on several significant highways. A little bit like 75 and 70. It was 
right there at the crossroads of so much that was going on in the ancient world. And because of its, because of its vital position on these great passages of, of land navigation, it grew to have a significance way beyond the scale of its size. It became a city that people looked to for innovation in, in business and in entrepreneurial efforts. The first person that, that Paul leads to Christ in Europe with his small team of Timothy, Luke, and Silas as they've heard the beckoning call to come over to Macedonia and help the people there. The very first person that came to Christ was, was a woman who was a merchant, a trader in purple cloth. That means that she was a woman of significant status within the ancient world, a merchant who was dealing in the highest fashion. And she had a status way beyond what would normally be encountered in a woman of her time, able to travel at will, able to do what she wanted wherever she wanted, able to rent homes in different locations. This was a person of significant capacity. And she was from Thyatira. Lydia, the first convert in Europe. So Thyatira is known for its mercantile excellence. And when we look at the ruins of ancient Thyatira, uh, I didn't spend very long there, but I did spend a, a little bit of time. When you look at the ancient ruins of, of Thyatira, one of the things that you discover about this city is that it was known throughout the region and throughout the world for this particularly prominent aspect of its life, that it was a city of trades, a city of merchants, a city of business. Of all of the cities of the ancient world, Thyatira has more indications and memories of business than any other city. And the way that we identify that is that within the city of Thyatira, there are, there are many artifacts that point to the, pr principal, the principal agency of business within this city, which were the guilds of the various trades. There were guilds, like, um, like associations, more than unions, because they were not only participants, but owners of the particular association. And so, and so these associations, the association of tent makers, the association of leather workers, the association of candle makers, the whatever it was, there are more artifacts that indicate these whole variety of different kinds of trading guilds found in Thyatira than any other place, including the great cities of Rome and, and Ephesus and Alexandria. There are more than any other city in the ancient world. So if you were not in business in Thyatira, you weren't anybody. This is a city that is preeminently about business. And the way that business was conducted was through the controlling hand of these guilds. 
And each guild had their own God. And each God had particular expectations that it wanted to place on the members of the guild so that they had particular responsibilities in the worship of the God who was assumed to oversee the guild. And at least once a year, the guild would gather in honor of their own particular God. And at that time, you would identify yourself as a member of the guild. And so therefore, you would be able to continue your commercial life and would be able to prosper in the way that you and your family wanted you to. Now imagine what it's like becoming a Christian in that context. Maybe you're a leather worker and you're in the leather workers guild. And the particular God that is the God that is the dedicated God of that particular guild is one that within the tradition and history of that particular God expects certain votive offerings and sacrifices offered at least once a year at the guild gathering. And in doing that, you're expecting to receive the blessing of that particular God and continuing prosperity into the future. And now you become a Christian and you don't believe any of it. Now, leaving the guild doesn't feel like an option because that means that now you're put outside of the commercial life of the particular skill that you have and you have no way of being able to function. Who knows, it may well have been that Lydia from Thyatira moved from Thyatira because she was already beginning to be a God-fearer. And she knew, as we know from the text in, in Acts 16, we know that she knew the God of the Old Testament, that she had some familiarity with the ways of the Old Testament. And so perhaps it's because of that that Lydia has now disengaged from Thyatira and is functioning within her trade in a place that is not so, so tightly gripped by that, by that particular overseeing hand. Do you see how this all might have gone down in the time that Jesus is addressing? And up pops the Nicolaitans, the ones that we mentioned last week, who who say, now look, rather than kind of pressing the nuclear button here and either leaving the guild and ending up poverty struck and, and hungry or having to leave the city and go and do something else, just realize that there's a radical separation between your body and your spirit. And what your body does doesn't really relate to what your spirit is doing. And so even though you're involved in these these carnal celebrations once a year where there's temple prostitutes and sacrifices to gods, all you're doing is you're just doing that with your body. You're not really doing that with your spirit. You can separate your body from your spirit. You can can compartmentalize your life in this radical fashion and you can live within the compartment of your spiritual life and it's untouched by the apparent sinfulness of your body. 
Now, if you're struggling, you're thinking, man, I don't know how I'm gonna make the next payroll. And I'm not sure I can move grandma to Philadelphia. See what I mean? What are you gonna do? And then within the teaching of the Nicolaitans, this, this remarkable person, a woman with apparent prophetic gifts, has has real significant influence within the church and then begins to speak in a way that it sounds as though God himself is endorsing this particular message. Maybe now, not only is your interest peaked, but you've begun to embrace the idea that you could stay on in the city and live this life of separation and compartmentalization. Does that begin to make sense to anybody here this morning of how this whole thing could have emerged? Two or three of you are following me, that's great. <laughs> so, so here we are then, and we're, we're in Thyatira, and the Lord says, you know, that first little step that has now led to this perilous position is the thing that you need to be attending to. The Lord says, the Lord says, those of you who have not taken this journey, hold on to what you have. Don't be drawn into. Don't be, don't be manipulated and suckered into this, this whole worldview. Because if you hold on, you'll receive the authority. You'll receive the power. You'll receive the morning star, a a fresh start, a new day, a new world. Now, when when we look at anything like this in the Bible, our default should always be to go back to what the Bible says in general about our relationship with God. And we know that our relationship with God is about being and doing. The biblical words for those those two realities are covenant, a covenant relationship with God and a covenant relationship with everyone else, and kingdom, the call to rule as God's representative over the area that he's given you authority, not as a tyrant, but as a loving, kindly representative of the king of heaven. And when we look at the covenant side, we we see that, of course, our covenant is with God who is revealed to us as Father. And because he's revealed to us as Father, we have an identity, an identity of nobility and royalty. We have an identity of security with God who names us his child. That's our identity in the world. And so for someone in Thyatira, they're listening and they're saying, God is saying to me that my identity as a child of God is far more important than my identity that I find within my trade or in my commercial life. 
Now, you know, we might think that that's a big thing for us today, but when your whole household is committed to a single commercial objective, it's even more significant. Everybody within the household would be lending a hand towards this particular objective of a trade that you've lived with and that perhaps for generations your family has lived with. And to hear that there is a greater identity is enormously important. And it's that identity that we lean into when we, when we sense the pressure to fall in with the plans of the world. Of course, identity means that we are able to obey. Obedience comes out of identity. And in the kingdom, of course, our father is the king. And as the king, he gives authority to his children. And on the basis of their authority, they have power. Now that's really what's being talked about in the last couple of verses of this letter to Thyatira. When the Lord says, to him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with, a rod, with an iron scepter. He will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my Father. Jesus is saying, look, this is the key for your understanding. The key for your understanding is that you recognize your identity. And in recognizing your identity, you hang on to that even though things are inviting you, maybe even pulling you in a different direction. Now for us today, as we look at the letter of Thyatira, even if we understand the historical context, we're perhaps struggling to find ways to connect with the text in a way that empowers us to live a life that Jesus would be pleased with. So what should we do? Well, perhaps we should look at this code word, Jezebel. What's behind that word? It's almost unthinkable that any Christian would bear the name Jezebel given the history of that name. And so it's obviously a code for understanding a particular kind of person and a particular kind of behavior. So I thought perhaps we could do that today together. Let's look at the great characters of the story of Jezebel. And as we do that, I'd like us to think about whether the tendencies that we see in Jezebel's life are tendencies that you and I perhaps are liable towards and so therefore are able to draw some benefit from what it is that this passage speaks to us about. Jezebel was the queen at the time when Ahab was the king of Israel. Ahab was the king, Jezebel was the queen. Ahab was the king of the northern separated portion of the people of Israel and usually the capital was in a city called Samaria. He was a particularly powerful and prominent king. The kings of the northern, the northern kingdom of Israel rather than the southern kingdom of Judah 
had a very significant and influential role in the world of the Near East at the time. And the king of Tyre and Sidon, modern day Lebanon, wanted to make sure that there was peace between him and the king of Israel. And so, as has often been the case down through the centuries, he offers his daughter, without mentioning it to her, he offers his daughter in a marriage pact so that peace is settled between the two nations. And so the king of Tyre and Sidon offers his daughter Jezebel to Ahab. And Jezebel, as is the norm for the time, comes with her her entourage from the the royal palace of Tyre and Sidon. She comes with her entourage. She comes with all of her finery. She comes with her wardrobe and her jewelry. And she comes with her gods. And her gods are particularly interesting. They're particularly fascinating. Because her gods have somehow combined spirituality with sexuality. What a marvelous combination. She brings Baal and Asherah with her. Now these are ancient gods of the Canaanites and they are gods of nature. They are gods of power. Baal is the the god of thunder, the god of water and rain, the god of prosperity and power. And Asherah is the female deity of fertility. And these gods are seen in some way to be connected to produce the fruitfulness and the fertility of the land and the nation. And so you can imagine that the religious cult that grew up around the worship of Baal and Asherah was particularly pernicious and particularly unpleasant and involved all kinds of unpleasantries like temple prostitutes. And it was that that Jezebel brought to Israel and it was an overnight success. An overnight success. This was something that was really fascinating to the, to the Israelites. They, they thought, wow, you know, maybe, maybe there's a whole nother way of being spiritual. Maybe there's a whole nother way of being, of being faithful. Maybe, maybe I've been uptight for too long. Maybe, maybe I've had too many rules for too long. Maybe, maybe just kind of loosening the boundaries a bit is a good thing. And Jezebel led the nation astray. But she could only do that because Ahab was the king. Ahab has become proverbial for a weak leader. So how do these two personalities emerge? Well, obviously, I'm doing a certain amount of speculation by doing this. I think I might need to start at the top of the board, so I'll get rid of these for a minute. I'm, I'm going to use a certain amount of speculation, but it's kind of, you know, sanctified speculation. <laughs> Here's Jezebel. And she has grown up in subjugation. I mean, you can't describe 
her life in any other terms. She's raised as a daughter, of course. I'm sure she's loved. But she's raised with the objective that she's going to be a trading chip. That she's going to be used in, in trade in the future. Can, can you imagine the way that that would crush the spirit of this young girl as she's growing up? And of course, Ahab, he's raised with something quite different. He's raised as a spoiled brat. It's quite obvious that that brattishness comes out in adult life. But it's quite obvious also that this is a man who has been so spoiled that he expects things done for him rather than expects the world to be served by him. He wants the world to serve him rather than the other way around. And so now we have the beginnings of the perfect storm. We have one person that is raised in subjugation and another person raised in a spoilt environment where everything is laid on for them. One person ends up being enraged and I perhaps, I mean, perhaps you would say entirely understandably. She's enraged by her situation. This is not a just environment. This is not a circumstance that anyone should put up with. The levels of injustice are awful. And so her enragement leads to a fundamental stance of rebellion. Ahab, on the other hand, is raised not as an enraged young man, but an entitled person. And it's resignation that underlines his life. As the words become more contemporary, so so the pressure starts to build on our lives, doesn't it? How contemporary this now starts to feel. There's one person who is entitled. They, they feel as though things ought to be done for them. They feel a little bit miffed when they go to Starbucks and the person doesn't quite smile in the way that they ought to do or show correct deference towards them as a customer. They feel a little bit slighted when they're in the supermarket and the person doesn't speak to them as if they're the most important person that they've met that day. And this world of entitlement kind of permeates our lives. Likewise, perhaps we have encountered in our life these terrible injustices and we regularly find ourselves angry and bubbling and boiling because of the things that have happened to us in the past and we find it difficult not to allow the root of bitterness to grow up. And with the root of bitterness, 
This, this feeling of, of wanting to overturn the barricades and, and knock down the traces and say, well, wait a minute. And so a rebellious nature begins to emerge within us. One tends towards aggression. The other tends towards passivity. Being aggressive or passive are flip sides pretty much of the same coin. Some of us struggle with being passive some days and then aggressive the other days because they're so closely allied in our personality makeup. But you can see here with Jezebel that her aggressive tendencies, Ahab comes back from the disaster for him of the Mount Carmel where all of the prophets of Baal have been slain by Elijah. And he tells his wife what it is that's happened. And Jezebel says, well, you go back and tell Elijah that what happened to those prophets of Baal are gonna happen to him within 24 hours. And Elijah, the great man of God, anointed for the moment, the leader of the nation, ran away. It's fascinating, isn't it? Now, where's your tendency? Is your tendency to be aggressive or passive? As you saw the news emerge this weekend, what was your, what was your posture towards it? Was your tendency towards aggression? Was your tendency towards passivity? I don't know. Only you and the Lord can know. But these personalities that we have here, good old Ahab and Jezebel, are part of the picture of Scripture and appear to be part of the picture that the Lord is addressing in this church in Thyatira. Because now that we've looked at this code word Jezebel, it seems to be far more contemporary and seems to be far more applicable to our lives than we ever imagined. In her aggression, she becomes defiant. And let me say, this is not about male and female, because there are as many Jezebels as there are Jezebels. <laughs> Certainly from my observation. And of course, with passivity, the person becomes compliant. It's a fascinating thing, you know, when you've been raised as a spoiled person and you have an entitled mentality, you do tend towards passivity and compliance. And you, you expect somehow that the solutions for your life will be found by somebody else. Now, one of the real issues for us is that because so many of us 
have been raised in environments where everything has been handed to us, we fail to see how spoilt we really are. And yet, when we hit difficulties, it's so often the case that we expect the world to somehow organize itself in relation to our need and somehow come up with a solution. It's not particularly the American way or particularly the Dayton way because the history of this city and this nation has always been about self-determination and real hard work. But the fact is, is that all of us have now been party to generations of affluence that the world is breathlessly overwhelmed by. Why do so many people want to go through so much sacrifice and hardship to come here? Why do people even from other rich nations like England find themselves here? Rebellion. I think the rebellion was the other way around. I don't remember, but anyway, we'll do that. We'll do that another time. But um, <laughs> so, do you see what I mean? I mean, it's such a generalized thing. This kind of spoiledness, and so entitlement is so common to us that we find it difficult to see it. But generally you see it when you hit a snag. And it's at that point you go, either I'm gonna overcome it, maybe therefore the tendency is the aggressive tendency, or you say, I'm gonna hope that everything gets better. Now, it's only you and the Lord who can work out which of these is your way. For Jezebel, she was gonna go my way. For Ahab, he was gonna go anyway. And so it was that the nation was put into such a perilous state. And so it was that the church of Thyatira was put into such a perilous state because one particular person was functioning with spiritual authority and using heretical teaching to draw the church away. But those who were being drawn away, to some degree, let's be honest, wanted to be drawn away. There's gotta be a choice. You can't drag a person into heresy. They've gotta choose it. And so there is quite clearly the Ahab personality alongside the Jezebel personality. Where is your tendency? Are you likely to be drawn into ungodly, unhelpful things, or are you more likely to seek the manipulative, aggressive route and seek influence and power 
over other people's lives. Which one? Fascinatingly, the solution for both is really quite similar. What is the solution? Well, I looked at this and I thought, I mean, obviously, a person who's living with these tendencies needs to learn the gift and the call of submission. But the problem with that is that if you just offer that as the solution, it functions like a crushing weight on a person that's already been crushed. And so now a crushed spirit is not restored, but further crushed. It's absolutely true. But along with truth, there is, of course, grace. And so how does grace help us embrace the truth? Because, of course, grace and truth came to us from Jesus, the word of God. Well, the grace is this. For Jezebel, there is dignity in being a daughter of God. Do you remember the two triangles? It is our identity that is the key to our obedience. We never place obedience before, ident before identity. We never, we never require submission before we provide dignity. Dignity means that a Jezebel or a Jezebel who has grown with a crushed spirit now now finds that their life is transformed by the gracious words and the blessing and the hand of God that lifts them to a place that they thought that they would have to climb and scramble towards themselves. You see, it's unjust that Jezebel is subjugated in the way she is. And it's entirely understandable that she would want to throw off those shackles and climb to the highest point, of course. But there is a higher point than you could ever climb. And it's called being a child of the living God. Amen. A child of the one who made the universe. How high do you want to climb? You could never climb that high. You're already seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. There is no higher place. And so the dignity and the dignifying work of the spirit to raise the crushed spirit to the place of sonship and daughterhood is the work of God. 
And what about dear old Ahab? He's just going to go anyway. What's his solution? Well, you would say to Ahab, listen, buddy, you need to learn how to pay the price. You need to learn how to sacrifice. And of course, this overextended soul, overfed, completely entitled person runs away because sacrifice always comes with pain and pain is to be rejected on every occasion and so Ahab is never served by that being the simple message what is it? it's the challenge of being called a child. There is a challenge. Yes, there is. There is a challenge that, that calls you out of your entitled nature. But the challenge comes with the empowering, the elevating message that the call is to simply live up to all that in God's grace you can live up to, which is simply to be the child of God. And as we take on what it means to live in our identity, then other things begin to happen that we would never imagine. Other things begin to, to emerge in our hearts that we would never imagine could emerge. And we, we begin to see ourselves in a way that perhaps we've never seen ourselves before. Because you see, when identity that comes from the Father becomes the leading message in our life. Of course, obedience becomes a joyful, grace-filled experience. But something remarkable happens. We, of course, realize that our Father is the King and He has given His children authority and power and so what does it look like? Well, it looks like this. The father gives his children their identity. And in their identity, they assume their authority. Here's the thing. You have authority over your circumstances. I'll say that again. Just in case you weren't listening. You have authority over your circumstances. 
Why? Because you're the child of God. Circumstances do not rule you. If you seek first his kingship, which means seeking an understanding of what his kingship means in your life, and it means this, the king is my father, my father has called me child, and as a child I bear his authority. Circumstances can never rule us. You have authority over your circumstances. And because you have authority, God gives you power to obey him. So here it is. The the church in Thyatira is a church pretty much very similar to us in this sense. All of us in one way or another have a tendency towards the Jezebel personality or the Ahab personality. And to whichever personality to whichever personality we have a tendency to lean into, the message is the same. The message is this. You're a child of God. You're not defined by your personality. You're defined by your identity. You're not defined by your past. You're defined by your identity. You're not defined by what other people think you are. You're defined by what God says you are. Your identity is given you by God himself. And with that identity comes all the authority you need. The authority you need to step into a place of godly influence within your environment, the authority you need to take authority over your circumstances so that they're not overwhelming you. Your identity is the cornerstone of your life as a disciple of Jesus. Jesus says this to the church in Thyatira. He says this. I will also give him the morning star. What would that be in contemporary language? In contemporary language, it would be this. And today, wherever you are, I offer you a reset button. A reset button. You can start again today, right now. The morning star is, of course, Venus, that which we see at the darkest moment of the night, just cresting the horizon, telling us of a day that will come. There is a new day, my dear friends, and the new day is today. Not tomorrow. The new day is today. And Jesus says, 
Will you embrace this new day? Wherever you've been this week, whether you've been off there with Jezebel or Ahab, do you know what? It's a new day. There's a morning star. There's a reset. Now, last week, I was really wrestling with the Lord as to how we should respond last week and I was thinking about it again this morning. At the nine o'clock, I, you, you may have noticed, Sally certainly did, I was kind of at the end of the sermon thinking, I don't know, what are you saying, Lord? And then by the second service, I kind of got it. And in the second service, what I'd said was, we'll, we'll sing the, the last song and if these words are words that you want to identify with, these are things that you want to say to the Lord, yes, Lord, I'm going for this. So today it would be, if today you're saying, yes, Lord, I'm going to start today as a new day and I'm not going to be defined by my personality and I'm not going to be defined by my circumstances and I'm not going to be defined by my past and I'm not going to be defined by my fears of the future. I'm going to be defined by my identity in you. It's a new day. If that's you today, then in the singing of the last song, and I'd like the worship team to come up now, wherever you are. In the singing of the last song, and I'm gonna do this, because I need a new day. Then come to the front. Come to the front during the singing of the last song. And just enjoy the fact that there is an absolute connection between your body and soul that can only be separated by the word of God itself. It can never be separated by us. And so what we do with our body is saying something to ourselves, to the world, and most of all to our Father in heaven. And so as you move forward and say, I want this new day in this new week, then your actions are eloquent prayers before heaven. And so in the singing of this last song, if this is a day that you want to have as a new day, then you come and join me as we sing this last song at the front here. <laughs>